You're listening to Rosie on the House. Hey, there's our pardon token turkeys for the year, and it's their responsibility to make sure next Thanksgiving we can accept the challenge. Uh, Smart and Final was running a commercial leading up to Thanksgiving that I thought was hilarious, talking about how the average person will eat 4,500 calories. And how can how can that be? You know, I think I think I understand it. If you start at about three o'clock in the afternoon on Thanksgiving Day. Or 10 o'clock in the morning. Or 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, you don't think of day from uh, dawn till dusk. Mm -hmm. Think of that 24-hour span into the next day when you're enjoying the leftovers and you're cleaning up. And that that time frame, I I think you have to look at it in, in eating time. So... Over that course of, of the main course and the snacks and the leftovers, well, you know me, Greg. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm i above average guy. I, I think when I might have gotten eating. close to five. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even over. I go. need you today, man. Let's get out in the garden. garden. We've got Let's Farmer it, Greg man. here. Let's get, let's get urban farming. I got a lot to burn off today. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice, uh, nice. Eight o'clock, the outdoor living hour. It is the fourth Saturday of the month, so we have Farmer Greg in here, following up to our Thanksgiving, talking winter gardening, yeah. and we've got a lot of great things to talk about. One of the cool things in the low desert. I stopped you. What? Where did you want to go? No, go ahead. We've got a l- just how many different things we can talk about because oh, yeah, this yeah. broadcast covers the state, right? And we're talking zones, and we're going to cover a lot of different zones and elevations. Yeah, yeah. And one of the cool things about the low desert is that the best time to grow is October to June, right then, in the middle of it. Right, and then our winter is really a summer. Because, you know, trying to grow in July, August, and September is pretty brutal on us, and it's pretty brutal on the plants. So I usually let my gardens sit in the summertime, and then we get them planted in September, October, November uh, for crops all the way through into June. So that's really the cool thing uh, about growing in the low desert. And in the low desert, you mentioned we're right— in the middle of that growing season, is mm-hmm. it too late to plant anything, or do we need to be looking for starter plants already at nurseries? Well, if you can find starter plants, that's a really good way to go. Uh, planting from seeds is, you know, it's kind of tentative. It'll be interesting. Uh, about 10 days ago, we planted our one of our gardens out from seeds. They haven't come up yet, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. It was, uh, you know, as we were doing it, I was thinking... Yeah, maybe a little bit late for seeds. But here's the cool thing. The really cool thing is that nature knows when to pop these seeds. We don't have to know it. If it's the wrong season right now, they'll come up when it's the right season. So for carrots, we planted carrots. If the carrots don't sprout now, they'll stay dormant until the the soil warms up in February, and then they'll sprout. And they don't go bad? Not generally. I have, you know, I have a lot of interesting systems set up. I was just writing an article about this the other day. Because, see, I I don't understand how vegetable seeds are so hard, but weed seeds, you don't have to do anything. (laughs) And they just, 
They're everywhere. Well, but here's the, here's the interesting thing I was going to say. I was writing an article the other day about my food forest around my house, and one of the things that I do with the urban farm is I plant open-pollinated seeds. It's a particular kind of seed. They're not hybrids. They're called open-pollinated or heirloom seeds. And the cool thing about them is you plant them, and when they go to seed, they produce the same quality that's what i want to say they produce the same quality of fruit or vegetable as the original seed when this you know when they go to seed so a lot of what goes on at the urban farm is the seeds self plant and then they stick around until it's time for them to sprout so at any given month in the at the urban farm we've got lettuce nasturtiums garlic onions um cow peas, parsley, basil that is just coming back year after year after year. That's really the cool thing. So one of the big things that I do to combat winter growing is I just let nature happen in my yard and then I plant things that's season appropriate. And I was recently at a at a big box store. I won't name it, but I was recently at a big box store doing a mental inventory of all the edible plants that they had for sale there. And over 50% of the plants that they had for sale were not season appropriate, which means they were the wrong season, like a um, melon, <laughs> a melon in this time of year, exactly. Or they weren't climate appropriate, like for the fruit trees. Cherries. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, you have to really spend some time and energy paying attention and doing a little bit of research to make sure that you know what to plant when. Once you get that down, it's actually pretty simple to garden here. That's one of the big hurdles to gardening in the desert is knowing what to plant when and making sure that you plant the right things. And where? What zone are you in? And what zone are you in? Yeah, exactly. Arizona, we have... Well, let's just talk about the zoning system at first. The Department uh-huh. of Agriculture has 10 different zones of climate? Probably. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the map right now. Let's see what it says. Uh, in Arizona, we go from 6A to 10 to 10A, from 6 to 10. I think there's 10 in this one. Okay. Um, you know, I've lived in Phoenix for 51 years, and I've gardened in Phoenix since for most of that time. And... You know, I, so I don't much pay attention to the hardiness zone map, although it's a really great tool because I, you know, I'm I got that part of it down for myself. But somebody in Tucson, there's a little where you get south of Tucson mm-hmm. and the zones start to change. Yep. You get up towards Camp Verde, the zones start to change. So. Sedona Flagstaff. Exactly. Exactly. And this will this will tell you the document is called. Arizona Climate Zones and Their Application to Growing. It is a document called AZ1673 from the Cooperative Extension, U of A Cooperative Extension. And pretty recent. I'm looking at uh, the document date on the bottom, and this is this has definitely been updated. The, 2014, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. So, you know, one of the things that is good to know from a, a, a macro perspective uh, for your area is what zone are you in? So you can kind of get a sense of what to plant. 
And then this document goes through a great, and we'll put this at rosieonthehouse.com. If you click on today's podcast, the link will be right there. This is segment one of the eight o'clock hour. We'll have the link there. When you open it and you're scrolling, it's six pages. The first part's pretty easy. What city are you in? You pick your city, and then it'll tell you your USDA hardiness Mm -hmm. zone, temperature variance, uh, the sunset climate zone, and it describes all these things. Once you pick your zone, you can then scroll down, and they've got trees listed. Uh, (laughs) I would say this is my one critique. They've got it listed alphabetically. But they're all in the Latin name. Oh my gosh! So if yes, you're I looking for that. Texas Ebony, you got to go to the common <laughs> name and just scroll through this huge list and yeah. randomly find it. It if this was like uh, an Excel insert, and you could sort it. I think most people can search the common name, yeah. but whatever. Hey, it doesn't take that long to find. One of the things I like on here is the edible fig, zone eight through eleven. And zone eight through eleven back on our table covers. I'm gonna say. Um, Wilcox, uh, Wilcox to Yuma. That's easily 70% of the state. And yeah. it goes all the way up to Kingman. Yeah, and I suspect you could probably uh, grow them in Prescott and as well. Being deciduous, you know, uh, there'd probably be a few years you got cold snaps late in the mm-hmm. late in the spring or early in the fall that would shorten your produce. But year over year, probably pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is a great document that you know to get your hands on. Uh, the next thing you want to do, are you are we complete with this part of the document, or did you want to dig into it? You know, I could geek out on it longer, but we can move <laughs> on. We'll we'll let the people in their own zone geek out over their own local you go. local plants and trees and shrubs. There you go. So the next thing you want to do is get a planting calendar. Find out what to plant when, because you can't count on the big box stores and the local nurseries to always have your back on that Uh, you know as i mentioned earlier the big box store that had uh, you know melons in the fall and broccoli in february march for phoenix that's not going to work and there's only so much that a lot of the big seed manufacturers uh you've got baker seed company Mm -hmm. you've got monsanto there's only so many regions they break up their distribution and they don't have a region for Flagstaff in a region for Phoenix. They've right. got Southwest, which is Arizona, New Mexico, Southern yeah, exactly. California. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, you know, you mentioned Monsanto. Monsanto actually doesn't sell home garden seeds. Um, so, which you know, for, from the conversation around genetically modified and not genetically modified. That's true. They're mainly the big cotton. Yeah, and ag. exactly. They're the big ag business. So you know, they get to keep that one. Baker Baker Creek is a great one. There are hundreds of small seed companies out there that are doing great seed work. Uh, you know, so finding a seed company is definitely something you want to do. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned, get a planting calendar. And the Cooperative Extension also has planting calendars for your county. Uh, so if you, you know, if you do, uh, if you're in Pima County, type in Pima County and Cooperative Extension calendar and that'll come up. Um, or the low desert, which is really anything from, um, you know, from Phoenix south, you can go to plantingcalendar.org, which is my planting calendar that I give away free. You can download it, and uh, then you get 
notices about all the cool things that we do here at the Urban Farm. And we try and make this apply to the entire state. But Mm -hmm. this time of the year where we've got so many different extremes, it just the garden hour can't apply to every part of the state all the time. We talk urban farming the fourth Saturday of every month and rotate through topics. And we'll take uh, a quick break here and come back and continue on our fruit tree talking chill hours and rootstocks and ripening times and Outside of that, we can grow fruit almost year-round, and that's what we're talking about here with Farmer Greg at Rosie on the house. In the studio with Farmer Greg here on this Saturday morning, if you'd like to join the conversation, text to 411-923, or if you need to snap a picture, send it over. Info, rosieonthehouse.com. Need help with a little insect or plant identification? I can't say we can get them all, but we can make up an answer for all of them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And uh, and I have to tell you that if it doesn't have to do with food plants, I'm pretty much out of the ballpark on those. That's not something I know a whole lot about. But That was for last weekend. Uh, that's when we get Jay Harper yeah, in there you the go. nursery. He's a rock star, man. Yeah. So, so. we're Farmer Greg is exactly that the urban farm urbanfarm.org it's all about uh making our own regenerative i love uh, i like that you use that word i'm i'm learning regenerator you regenerative say regenerative uh landscapes landscape on our own properties yeah got a vision of making phoenix and arizona its own food island yeah uh, yeah i've been working real hard on that with a lot of education so, you know, we do a lot of classes at urbanfarm.org. We got online classes. We got in-person classes. Um, we're going to be launching a urban farm incubator program next year in 2019 to take people from not really knowing anything about plants but having a desire to grow to production farming. So we're actually going to help people set themselves up and work forward as farmers. We'll have mentors and set them up with land. And sorry, Shannon, if I let the cat out of the bag, but <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, we're heading that direction in 2019 because it is so needed. It is so needed. You know what else we need is a good good freeze. Uh, oh. Desert's been due one. The last time, uh, so my youngest sister, Carol, was born in Phoenix and saw hail before she saw sunlight. And that was, you know, and that we you know, about every 10 years we get a we get a hailstorm that hits uh-huh. low low desert uh we're we're getting close to that cycle again. And are we going to get it this year? Let's hope, man. Let's hope the uh grape skeletonizers worse than I've ever seen them. Cockroaches pretty bad. Uh we uh rats I don't know if you uh, heard this, but our rat population in the valley exploded last winter. Mm. And it was because it just didn't get cold enough. We need a good frost to take out some of the pestilence out there. That's one of the things a good frost does for us. What else will a frost help us in our urban farms? So, well, specifically specifically around fruit trees... Um, we need chill hours in order to set fruit on your soft, fresh f- flesh fruits, the deciduous ones. So apples, peaches, apricots, plums, 
pomegranates, figs, they all need cold hours or chill hours as we call them in the industry in order to set fruit. And chill hours is any hour under 39 degrees. And interestingly enough, last season, last winter, we did not get enough chill hours to set apricots. And most of our apricot trees are at the 300 hour Chill hours. Chill hours. Thank you. I was going to say threshold. That was the word I was going for at the 300-hour threshold. And Maricopa County is supposed to get 350 hours. So my apricot in my front yard and actually the apricots all the way across the southwest into California and uh, uh, Nevada and New Mexico, we all got skunked. We, we got very few apricots, if any, because it just didn't get cold enough. And it's not enough for it to be under 39 degrees. It has to be a consecutive hours. Well, no. No? No. Okay. So I, I thought if it dipped under from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m., it dipped under 39. That didn't count. You had to have a couple consecutive hours oh. for it to really count. Yeah. I, we'd have to ask the trees that one. And, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I don't know if that even my my people... Uh, Put them on the schedule for the next show. We'll yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but they they accumulate starting, you know, pretty much now. I mean, we've had some cold temperatures. Uh, I think it was 47 degrees in the in the yard the other day. Still at the not farm. 39, though. It's not 39, but it's getting down there. So they start accumulating as soon as we, you know, as we dip. And and it, they go through when the trees bud out. And usually we start seeing buds on your peaches about beginning of February, mm-hmm. late January, early February. Uh, so chill hours is really important for that as well. That's always my favorite one because from our master bedroom looking mm-hmm. out the window – is our row of three peach trees uh, and having that explosion nice. yeah. early spring of, of them all coming. And we did not have that last year. Right. Right. It just wasn't here. And there was one little side of it. It wasn't the whole tree in this grand display. Yeah. So so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But um, I am really got my fingers crossed for a really cold winter this year to you know, take out the bugs and give us a lot of fresh fruit. And you know what else? helps the bug population are the weeds and with all the rain we've had in october Mm. and the explosion of weeds you know that that's going to just make it worse it's more habitat for the insects to live in so get your weeds under control um hope for a cold winter and you know there's all kinds of things to do to help your trees from freezing in a frost you know we cover citrus with blankets you can let your water run underneath your trees Mm -hmm. to keep the air moving it's pretty expensive to go out there and artificially chill your trees yeah i don't know that it's possible (laughs) i I don't think so yeah i'm farming and i grow it i'm farming and i grow it talking our way through preparing for Winter gardening. <laughs> a harsh winter, yes. I have my fingers crossed for a very harsh winter. And we have one more benefit of cold other than red noses and runny noses. Oh, yeah, that's not much of a benefit. And I'm a, I'm a super wimp. I've been here for 51 years. In, in fact, I've lived in within five miles of where the studio right here for the past 51 years. So when it drops down to 39 degrees, I'm... 
Heidi, you do the chores this morning, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You gotta take care. You gotta take care of the chickens. Heidi, uh, honey, I'll make breakfast. I'm hiding out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the cold helps things grow. When it gets too warm for broccoli, for cabbages, for those kinds of things, they'll bolt or go to seed. And once they bolt or go to seed, once once it warms up a bit, then Lettuce will go bitter. Uh, you know, a lot of the greens are no longer palatable. You know, they become chicken food Compostable. at that point. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, right. They, that's right. They go in their compost bin or um, so that it really helps. It really helps, especially our winter vegetables grow if it stays cold. And when you say stay cold, are we looking for a threshold or is that back to our zone map where we can get more details about that? Because exactly. it's so different. Depending every, on your elevation. Exactly. And and uh, just to be straight with everybody, I've lived in the valley for 51 years. That means I've, you know, I've only grown food here in the valley. So when it comes to growing in Prescott or Cottonwood or Sedona, I'm, you know, I'd have to go relearn that. And that's your zone map. And a lot of the learning would be just what plants are there. The soils are kind of the same. Yeah. You know what? And th- that's two really good points. Observing. You know, one of the things that I did for a long time when I moved into my neighborhood is I paid attention to what other people were doing and what was growing. And then you just start mimicking that. That's one of the big things behind permaculture. You know, I study and teach permaculture. It's the art and science of working with nature. But the first premise of permaculture is to stand back and observe. See what's already working in your area. If you're in Sedona and you haven't gardened before, find a gardener that's already gardening. Find a community garden and connect with them. And I know there's a bunch of you, bunch of y'all up there in you know the Sedona Cottonwood area uh, that are doing great gardening work. Um, so observe and go connect with your fellow gardeners and farmers and see what they're doing. Uh, that'll help a lot. And when I say the soils are the same, I'm I'm meaning in the they're not great soils. Arizona is not known for its great <laughs> soils for natural gardening. Uh-huh. We need to add a lot of organics. Right. We need to so mycorrhizans. All the things we've talked about with Farmer Greg before. The, exactly. The, your, what's the name of the tanks green stuff? Farmer the Greg's Farmer planting Greg's, mix. Far- yeah. That's for your gardens and for planting trees. So that was the other thing that you brought up a moment ago, and that's healthy soil. Uh, you know, go out and observe, make sure that you know what's growing, plant what's in in the right season, but then you need to make healthy soil. And in the low desert, in the desert, we have less than 1% organic matter in the soil. So the fix for most of our broken soils is add lots and lots and lots of compost, lots of planting mix um, to your soils. In fact, often what I will do is I will add four to six inches worth of compost on top of dirt and then just plant, and I let the plants do the work. So that's the other thing uh, is, you know, your, your, your job is to make healthy soil because without healthy soil, things aren't going to grow as well, and they're not going to taste as good and be as nu- nutritionally dense. What is this rain done? Oh, my gosh. We had a magical time at the urban farm. So one of the things that I've done, I've been there at the Urban Farm for 29 years. And for those of you who don't know it, the Urban Farm is my house. It's near 16th Street and Glendale Avenue, so it's right in North Phoenix. And it's my place to experiment. And I experiment there a lot. And I've worked really hard on building healthy soil. And healthy soil has a lot of organic matter in it. 
So there was one morning when we got two inches of rain in two hours. <laughs> the water was coming off the roof. I have water harvesting in place as well. And the water was coming off the roof and it was puddling in one of my orchards in the backyard. And within an hour and a half after the rain stopped, all that water was soaked in. I've worked really hard over the past 29 years to add lots and lots of organic matter so that my soil is like a sponge at the urban farm. So when you're building soil, you're not only sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, but you're also building a sponge that, that holds all that water. And if you've ever noticed the rain, it, generally speaking, uh, our clays do hold a lot of we, uh, soil. They're very expansive. Mm-hmm. But our biggest problem is runoff. I yeah. mean, it, it comes, it goes. That's one thing that always kind of humors me when you see somebody caught in a flash flood. I'm like, just sit there and wait a couple hours. Yeah. It's gonna, it's all going to dry up here in a very short period of time. As long as you're not in the water. Right, right. <laughs> as long as you're not in the water, exactly. What has that done for the plants? I mean, there's oh my there is something that can't be done in irrigation, whether it's flood or drip or you know with the hose. There's something that comes with rain. Yeah, one of my neighbors says something very interesting to me recently. He said, "Greg, have you ever noticed after a thunderstorm, your plants green up a lot?" Mm-hmm. And I said. Yeah, he said, that's because the thunderstorms, the lightning is making, sequestering nitrogen out of the air. And when the rain comes down, it's got a little bit of nitrogen in it. I don't know if that's the truth or not, but. It does green up. (laughs) It does green up big time, big time. So if you. And you know what? Until we're proven wrong. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. Have you noticed when we're driving around town how green it is? It's amazing to me. You know, I was over here in Piestua Park. Um, I was driving down the 51 the other day, and there was just this nice green grass. It's not grass, but greenness that ran right up the mountain. And it's like, wow. You could look at Camelback Mountain and see how green it is and yeah. determine. We've had a couple of inches of rain recently. Right. So, it'll, you know, it'll. It, we're going to have a really nice weed winter this winter, but we're also going to have a really nice... Uh, wildflower and it came right at the perfect time where the we're past the triple digit weather mm-hmm. extremes a ton of moisture an explosion of growth one of the things if we get that cold winter a lot of this new growth could get frozen because that's the most yeah. susceptible to freeze so right. what are we going to do now to protect this and manage it into the spring yeah so protecting plants Mostly at my house, I don't plant things out of season, so I don't have any tomatoes. There's a little bit of basil growing out in front that came up from seeds, but I don't plant things that need to be protected. Um, If you have a new citrus tree, so we're um, we're talking about trees now. So if you have a new citrus tree that you've planted in the last six months or a year, I would, if it gets really cold, I would definitely cover it. Uh, You don't want to use plastic. You want to use an old sheet or frost cloth that you can get at the, uh, you know, the hardware store. Go see Barry at Barry's Hardware. Um, And you don't want it touching the top of the tree. Uh, If you can put a tent up over the tree. Mm. The the thing is about that and the airspace. Yeah, exactly. You want the airspace. And if 
the frost fall because frost will fall out of the air. Moisture will fall out of the air. If it t- lands on top of a, a sheet that's on top of a plant, it'll freeze the tips of the plant. So the good news is, is that if you have a well-established, you know, it's been in the ground a couple of years, citrus tree, you don't have to worry about it. If you have deciduous trees, deciduous trees lose their leaves in the wintertime. They're going, it's because they're going dormant. Um, the deciduous trees like the cold, so you don't have to worry about covering them. Uh, you know, for the for the decorative trees out there like ficus trees, not figs that you eat, but ficus trees, uh, you know, if you got a small one, you probably want to cover it because they get tinged pretty good uh, along with bougainvilleas. Uh, but mostly at the urban farm, I don't plant things out of season, so I'm not ever covering anything. It just makes my urban farmer job a whole lot easier. Is there any truth to the matter that, uh, you know, with the holidays coming up, people have uh, outdoor lights around a tree. Does that keep it warm? Yes, it will absolutely keep it warm with one caveat. What's that? Uh, You don't want to use LED lighting. True. You don't want to use LED lights. The old C4 lights. Yeah. Of course, your electric bill is going to skyrocket, but hey, Well, I don't know about skyrocket, but it's going <laughs> to go kidding. up a little bit. One of the cool things that I've done in the past on a really cold night is I'll put a tent over my garden or a tent over, um, you know, a tree. And then I'll get one of those seven-day candles. You know, you just get them at the 99-cent store, and they're usually about a foot tall and... and um, Light it and put it underneath the tree, and it kicks off just enough heat from that flame, just a candle flame. It kicks off just enough uh, enough heat to keep it from freezing underneath the tent. Now, you are playing with fire, so you have to really be conscious of that and make sure that the sheet's not anywhere near Can't the fire. Can't blow onto the candle. <laughs> right, exactly. But I've had really good success with that before. Okay, so there's a great example of putting out luminarias there this year. There you go. There you go, man. Absolutely. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Absolutely. And then, you know, you can get into greenhouses and hoop houses and stuff like that. If you're actually going to physically build a greenhouse, you know, that's a big project, a bigger project. What's a hoop house? A hoop house, generally hoop houses, um, you can make them out of, you know, take a three-quarter inch piece of PVC and fold it. And, you know, fold it into a hoop so that you and I usually put rebar in the ground on either side of it. So then I have slide the PVC over the rebar. Right. So then you have this, uh, you know, half circle and, um, you know, put up six of those, maybe three feet apart. And uh, then I'll take a piece of PVC and tie it all together at the top to, you know, kind of structurally make it sound and then drape uh, plastic over it. Just straight plastic over it, and uh, you know that's a great way of handling those things. And that's something you would put over a vegetable garden, and it's okay to use plastic here because it's not sitting on top. You've got exactly. all that airspace between the plant material and the plastic material. Exactly. Now, is there any consideration uh, for light? Where I mean, you don't use black plastic. You need a little right. light to still you're get through use, to right. photosynthesize your. Yeah. Clear plastic there for Your sure. Your leaves. And... Is there a certain thickness that you could get too heavy, though, on white plastic? I've never really experimented with hoop house. I've mm. seen them plenty. But uh, you know, could you get too dark of a white 
mm. clear one or that doesn't you know the the clear ones or the you want clear um, they're they're not too they don't they're not going to hold back too much light um, thickness you probably want to go five six mil and if you're going to set up something that you're going to use long term you want to uh, get a UV protected plastic that'll um, last longer. So, yeah, even that few months that it'll be out there, the UV still comes mm-hmm. through plenty strong in the winter, even cold winters. When that sun's yep. out, that UV just breaks down anything that's out there. Yep, that it does. All right, we've got one more segment with Farmer Greg talking about winter gardening here at Rosie on the House, urbanfarm.org. Yep. Uh, you also mentioned a planting calendar. Plantingcalendar.org is my low desert planting calendar. It's free. Just go download it and then it puts you on our email list. Farmer Greg, that last segment we talked a lot about protecting our plants Mm -hmm. and the air movement. If you've ever seen you know sometimes helicopters will will circle citrus groves just keeping air moving that's not really practical for uh, most homeowners do you have a helicopter at the urban farm yeah no no i don't (laughs) but it's not enough to protect our plants there's soil protection as well yeah so protecting our soil is really about covering it with compost you know putting uh you know putting woody mulch down around your trees and uh, lots of compost in your garden that, you know, that insulates the soil from, you know, from the cold. So really important to do. And another thing that's important to do is it's so easy once you get the bug and you get started growing to overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to start <laughs> small, it is so easy. It is so easy to get overwhelmed. And then what happens when you get overwhelmed? You get burned out. You get burned out. You quit. Exactly. So when people come to tours at the urban farm, we do tours in the spring and fall at the urban farm. And when people come on tours, I say, listen, this took 29 years to happen here. This doesn't happen overnight. So don't get overwhelmed by what's going on here. And then what I encourage them to do is just pick one or two things that they see and try that. So starting small with gardening is you could start with some pots on a back patio. You know, start with a 100-square-foot, 10-by-10 garden plot. Uh, so definitely start small, uh, and, you know, and shoot for success that way. Um, there's also this cool thing called a tower garden. Have you seen the tower mm-hmm. gardens? It's like a Christmas tree, uh, but it's food. And they stand about six feet tall, and they hold 20, mine holds 28 plants. Right now I've got Virtually every green that we eat in the house is growing on the on the uh, tower garden. It's a hydroponic growing system. And the cool thing is I'm going to buy one of these this winter. They have a light kit for it. So what I'm going to do f- with that, and this is, it, it is start small. It's a little bit of investment, but this is a, you know, this is a um, four square feet by six foot tall growing space you can grow a lot of food in that space and it's really super simple so one of the things that i'm going to do this this summer this coming warm season is i'm actually going to buy a light kit for it so actually sell light kits for the tower garden that are led and so i'll actually grow greens all summer long because we can't that's something we can't grow here we can't grow kales and spinach and um 
you know. So you move the tower inside and use these LED artificial lights. lights yeah. Because obviously it's not going to grow <laughs> out on your back patio in the summer. Right, because it's just too dang gotcha. hot. It's just too dang hot. Things cook in the summertime. As I mentioned in the first segment, you know, growing in July, August, September here is it's kind of futile. Does that taste any different with the different lighting? Uh, not natural sunlight. Have you noticed anything? I haven't grown that way before, um, but like I like you said, you the know. urban farm's an experiment, and here's the exactly. next experiment for this year. So <laughs> next year, next November, we'll have this conversation, and I'll be able to tell You'll you. You'll be able to answer that. Yeah, Perfect. I will. I will. Have you seen the? And it, there's a lot of other different smaller container growing things. Have you seen? The Flower Street Urban. Oh, farms. Alex is a rock star. I love what he does. He's over on 44th Street and Flower. He's got uh, gardens that are that basically they hang on walls. Um, in fact, he's one of the members of our Grow PHX uh, networking group. We we this last year we set up a networking group of people that are helping gardeners and urban farmers work, do their stuff. So Alex is one of our members of the Grow PHX networking group, and and. We also, I'm going to do a shameless plug here, once a month we do a urban farming happy hour that anybody can come to uh, through Grow PHX. So you can find out about that at growphx.org. And you caught me there. when It's Flower Street Urban Farms. Yes, it's Flower Street. When you said over on Flower Street, it it clicked the the correct name. Yeah. Uh, And he's got a couple different applications. You could put them on block walls. You could put some underneath the kitchen walls. So Mm -hmm. you could be growing right outside. If you've got a kitchen window, open it up and just put your whatever you've picked for your salad or your mint tea or whatever the case. Yeah, that's a very nice product he's put together there. Or you could, you know. Bring some organic barley to the next happy hour and see what they can make of it there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And we, so we do the happy hours at the Duck and the Canner. Our friends over at the Duck and the Canner oh, help. Nice. I haven't been there in years. Oh, Not you, should a nice come and, place. you should come and talk to the people that are helping the you duck. build chicken coops and put your gardens in. And, uh, you know, we have a really, really cool urban farming community that's building here in town. And... My dream is, and you met, you alluded to this earlier, my dream is to build Phoenix into a food-secure space in the next 30 years. That's how much time I figure I have left. And I, you, I don't do that. What I need is I need your help, your Romies, all the listeners. Gary, I need you guys to start growing food. And what we do at the Urban Farm is we help you do that. We have classes online. We, you know, basically we're there to help you figure out how to grow food in the desert. That's that's what I'm up to. And y'all have done a great job at that. Uh, we always learn a lot when you come in and enjoyed having you as part of the broadcast Thank here you. the last couple of years. It's yeah, farmergregurbanfarm.org. It. Yep. Uh, you also mentioned a planting calendar. Plantingcalendar.org is my low desert planting calendar. It's free. Just go download it, and then it puts you on our email list. Perfect. All right, Farmer Greg, we appreciate your time this Saturday morning. Next Thanks Saturday, we'll me. be back to the first Saturday in December. Nice.